All right, we're going to start a new series called Leaving a Legacy. All right? 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul is writing to a young pastor, <coughs> excuse me, and he sees a problem in the church. And I'll tell you what the problem was. I don't think it's a problem that you and I can't identify with. It's a problem called affluence. And affluence has begun to pull their hearts away from God. You say, well, that would never happen. Yeah, I, I think maybe it would. Uh, because the more they're blessed monetarily, the less they seem to need God. And the more comfortable that they begin to come, uh, become. And the, I entitled the message, just an old saying, but you'll never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You're not taking any of it with you. And the amazing thing is how excited, and listen, everybody loves it when they get a new whatever. A new car, new house, new suit. We all get excited about that. But do you realize that all that is, is money? It's just money. And anybody can go, I can bring home a new whatever. Nobody knows it's $800 a month payments that I can't afford. But anybody can come home and get people to go, wow. And sometimes I think that's what we're after. Let me tell you a story that maybe brings a wow from a different direction. There's a, a great man of faith, and this really is his name. His name is Zidon, Z-I-D-E-N, Nutt, N-U-T-T. All right. It, it makes a guy named Pudding feel pretty good about himself, okay? Um, but Zidon is a hero of the faith. He has uh, been a missionary for decades in Africa, and he's almost, I don't know, mid-80s maybe now, uh, lives in Joplin, Missouri. But I never knew his story. And he posted on his Facebook page a story about his mom and dad from 60, 70 years ago. He said, this is how I grew up. He said, mom and dad had been saving to get indoor plumbing in their house. And he said, they found out about a need for a Christian hospital in a country in Africa. And they wrote the check for everything they had for their indoor plumbing. And they paid for the hospital in Africa. And I thought, okay, that's not giving. That's generous giving. No, that's not generous giving. That's sacrificial giving. Wait a minute. If I don't have a bathroom, that's a whole nother level of giving, wouldn't you say? But I want you to think about the legacy that was left here. Now, certainly a hospital got built. Church got planted. That all happened. And whatever's happened out of that church and hospital in Africa since then has been an incredible legacy. But that's not the legacy I want to talk about. I want to talk about the legacy of the three kids that were in that house. Three kids that grew up without a bathroom. Three kids who now have children who are still preaching the gospel, running pregnancy crisis centers, running mission trips in and out of Africa, grandkids that are changing the world. Maybe that's the legacy that we should be chasing. We get so caught up thinking that it's, it's that new shiny thing. And you know what? When they wrote that check for Africa, I will almost guarantee you that nobody cheered. If anybody knew about it, they probably would have said, Mr. and Mrs. Nutt, y'all are crazy. You are nuts. But God was watching. And that legacy that has been left behind is the legacy that those children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren now carry with them. So I ask you today, what kind of a legacy are you shooting for? What kind of a legacy do you want to leave behind? What is your ultimate plan 
of what you want to leave behind with your life, with your money, with your effort, with your passion, what you've done with, with the time that God has given you. What are you planning to leave behind? And if the answer to that is all material, I'm watching people give thanks online. You know, it's Thanksgiving, so people are posting all these things. I'm fascinated that almost all of them are material. Oh, I'm thankful for my truck. It gets me here. But is that really where my head needs to be? That I'm thankful that I have a truck? I am. I mean, I am grateful that I have a truck. I don't want to walk. But think about things that are truly important. Think about what am I investing in that is really going to outlive me? What is really worth cutting the check for? What is worth investing my time in? That's where you leave your legacy. You give me your car, eventually the car is going to rust. You give me the money, eventually the money will be used up. I told my parents, you might as well enjoy it because when I get it, I'm going to spend it. Both dollars. Uh, that's, that's my plan with the inheritance that I've got coming. All right? But what am I really, what do I really want to invest in? And, um, and listen, I'll tell you what, with the, I've always told you this. I'm going to ask you to give to something that I didn't give to. So my check was the first one in the box for Rafa House. So I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not committed to. So think about that for a minute. You know, nobody wants to think about sex trafficking. Nobody wants to go down that road. Nobody wants to think about families starving. But we, we misunderstand what's going on in the world. Because you watch TV and you watch the news and everybody's millionaires and everybody's doing great. I just left Egypt, was there for two weeks, and yes, there are some very wealthy people in Egypt, but 90% of the population lives on $2 a day. And I know what you're saying, the economy's different. Yeah, you're right, it is. Go anywhere in the world and try to live on $2 a day. Well, medicine's really cheap. Medicine's very cheap if you have the dime to buy it. But what good is the medicine being 10 cents if you don't have the dime? That's why we're so heavily invested in the churches and helping people and helping our brothers and sisters. Because if we're not investing and leaving that legacy, the rest of it doesn't matter. We know how the world ends. If you don't know, it's in Second Peter 3. It all burns up. So anything physical, it's going to go. In fact, I was so committed. I don't know if you guys knew that I was into puppetry. Um, but I... Uh, I recently decided it was time to sell one of my marionettes to make some money. So I sold it. No strings attached. I went to Egypt, not a comedy school. All right. Um, First Timothy chapter six on your feet, if you would, out of respect for God's word. We're going to look at verses six to 12. I would encourage you to go back and read all of 1 Timothy because Paul is talking to a church, really, could be just like us. The church is in Ephesus. It is a very affluent uh, shipping port. That is what they're known for. And uh, church is blessed. In fact, at one point, the church in Ephesus in the first century grew to 50,000 people. So if you think a megachurch is something new, no, first century Timothy's got 50,000 people he's trying to take care of in this city. And Paul writes this. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Well, there's the verse. Maybe we ought to memorize that one. 
But if we have food and clothing, we should be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, you, man, woman of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you when your good confession was made, when you confessed Jesus in the presence of many witnesses. You can be seated. All right, so let's talk about let's talk about the package. What is the ultimate goal? Paul writes to Timothy and says, "Here is the goal: godliness with contentment." I know where we struggle. You know how I know that? Because, and again, listen, everybody wants to better themselves. Everybody wants to move up the ladder. That, that is a normal American thing. It's not about that. But am I content along the way? And I know that, I know that America's not because of what I see, the power of consumerism. Now, pay attention. It's not just things. When I get that... Next car, second car, third car, fourth car, second house, third house, bigger house, second wife, third wife, second husband, third husband. Where do I find contentment? Here's the problem. There's an old saying in counseling, everywhere you go, there you are. And until you deal with yourself and God, you'll never find contentment. You'll always be chasing. How do I know that? Well, look at billionaires. Do you ever see billionaires say, that's enough. Bill Gates supposedly gave away all of his money. How is he still the richest man on the planet? His idea of giving away and my idea of giving away aren't quite the same. I'm not picking on Bill necessarily, but you can send him an email if you want. Um, but when I understand giving away, it means giving away. When the Nutt family gave, they gave all they had. And as a result of that, they left a legacy that their great-grandchildren are now living out. They understand what faith looks like. They understand what sacrifice looked like. He says, if you have, what? If you have two cars and a chicken and, no, if you have food and clothing, you ought to be happy. And here's what's fascinating. America is the most depressed country in the world. And no country in the world has ever had what we have. You know, we all live, we live like lords. If you went back a couple hundred years in England, we all live like lords. I don't care if you're the poorest person here in the room. The great people of England couldn't travel like we travel, eat like we eat every day, and do the things that we do. We are at the top, top end of the food chain. And we're still not content. We want more of this world. And sadly, I hear people say things, and it's heartbreaking because I think they're that confused. They say, well, I, I'm not sure I want to go to heaven because it's just not going to match up to what I have here on this earth. Are you serious? Are you really serious? Your house, your car, you really think this is it? Don't you understand from hurricanes, fires, floods, earthquakes, that all this can be gone in a second? Overnight, gone, wiped out. Here we are facing our 72nd hurricane of the year. 
You know, we know how temporary things are, and yet what is our default? Go right back to material things. If I just have this, if I just have this. No, there comes a time when you say, you know what, I'm going to keep working on this, but I'm going to be content where I am and enjoy today. Because we lose a lot of time chasing stuff that just doesn't matter. Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 8. He says, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, I like this verse because the Joe translation is, look, it's cool to go to the gym, but it's not necessary. What you need to work, work on is your spiritual life. He's not downing physical exercise. He just, but again, what is the culture? Just like ours. Hey, it's great that you guys are in great physical shape, but how are your, how's your spiritual shape? What are you doing for the life that is to come? So the ultimate goal is for me to be right with God and to be content. So what does that look like? Well, have I confessed Christ? Have I accepted Jesus? Have I repented of my sins? Am I living in sin right now? Is there something I need to get rid of? Probably so. And then where I am, I need to be content. And you know what? To be content, you may have to get rid of some stuff. There may be things that you own that are just destroying your time, your energy, your money. You're like, I'd like to do more of this and help with that, but all my money is consumed with more stuff. Meanwhile, the world goes to hell. And I'm not trying to squeeze your money. That's not the point. I'm actually trying to free you from the bondage of things. And that's the second part of this. Okay, so we've got, we've got the plan. The plan is godliness with contentment. If I have food and clothes, I should be content and I should be happy. And then he says, but here's the trap. He says, the love of money is the root of evil. And men who've want, wanted to get rich have fallen into many a trap and pierced themselves. It's a pretty gruesome word. It is a picture of, of falling into a pit and having spears shoot up through you. Here's the problem. The wording in the passage is this, you dug the pit. You dug the pit, you put the spears in, and you forgot where they were. Let me see if I can make it easy for you, all right? You, I'll just, you've done this before, so I'll just do it the same way. I'm not picking on any group of people, so don't send me a note. All right. You say, I need a boat. If I had a boat, I'd be content. If I had a boat, I could take my pastor out and he could enjoy the day on the water. We're making progress here. All right. Here's the deal. Three years from now, you wake up and you say, you know what? It's such a beautiful Sunday. I don't see any reason to go to church. Let's go out on the boat. If Satan knows that that boat will be the key to pulling you away from Jesus, he'll make sure you get the boat. Or the RV, or the fishing rod, or whatever else is on your bucket list. And listen, there's nothing inherently wrong with a boat, or a car, or truck, or a fishing rod, or kayaks, or anything else. But if Satan knows that that's the key to pulling you away from Jesus, he'll get you two of them. Boy, he got quiet. This is what happened on me last night. Do we have to carry anybody out of here? <laughs> Ushers, pay attention. <clears throat> Wow. See, we get trapped, but you dug the trap yourself. You bought the boat. You paid for this. And there's nothing wrong with it. I have a cell phone. 
You have a cell phone? There's nothing wrong with a cell phone. It has all kinds of inherently good things that I can do with it. I can study the Bible. I can talk to my friends. But you can also create a bunch of felonies and go to federal prison off of that cell phone. It's not the cell phone that causes the problem. It's you and me. And he said the danger is that we entrap ourselves in the process. I'm going to show you a picture of a guy. They say this is, oh, there's, that's a bear trap. There we go. This, this young man is called the most unlucky man in the world. In the last year, and he wasn't trying to, he was bitten by a bear, a shark, and an alligator. That's a tough year. But when I read the headline, unluckiest man, I, I said, no, no, no. That's the luckiest man. That is the luckiest man because he's still standing there in the picture. And a lot of us have fallen into a trap. We've fallen into that trap. And if you've ever been hit with a bear trap, it'll break your leg quickly. It does the bear too, but here's a mouse trap. Guess what the problem is? The mouse <clears throat> thinks the uh, cheese is free. And it is, but it comes with a price. Paul warns the church not to get trapped. Now, let me take you a little further into this. In Revelation chapter 2, Paul talks about this church, the church in Ephesus. And he, and he lists off all the things this church is doing right. He said, you do this, and you do this, and you do this. And, you, and a lot of the churches, he tears apart. But he said, man, you're doing all these things right, but I have this one thing against you. Anybody remember? He said, you lost your first love. You forgot that your commitment is to Jesus. It's not about the church. It's not about what can I do. It's about Jesus. And when I get things right with me and Jesus, now, what does that mean? Well, it means accepting Jesus. And 2 o'clock at Andy Romano Park here in Ormond, it's Decision Day. Palm Bay and land as well. We'll be having baptisms. But if you need to make a decision for Jesus, that's where it starts. You've got to accept Jesus as your Savior. But a lot of us have accepted Jesus and still aren't chasing him, still not following him based on how you're living your life, what you're doing with your time, uh, the things you're watching. Where do we need to go in the trap? You want to talk about pornography? You want to talk about sexual addictions? You want to talk about alcohol and all kinds of drugs? We live in a culture where now they've legalized heroin. What is that Oregon or Washington? Okay, so at what point do we say, just because anything is legal, does that make it moral? We got all kinds of laws that are not moral. So how does a Christian live? Based on the Word of God. And that brings us to the last part of this. In the last part, he says, here's the roots. We got the package, godliness with contentment, great gain. We've got the trap that we set for ourselves but then we got the roots. Listen to what he says. Verse 11. But you, man or woman of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness. I'm going to help you out. The Greek word for flee. Anybody know what the Greek word for flee is? Flee. Now that word means exactly the same thing. It's a, it doesn't mean take a number and figure out when you're going to leave. It doesn't say take your time. No, when you get the order to flee, you just go. In fact, when you hear flee, you don't have to have a plan. You just move. 
It's used throughout Scripture in referring to how we deal with sin. And he tells the church, you've got to run away from it. You don't walk away from it. You don't think about it. You don't pray about it. I just I need to slow down my sinning. There's nowhere you'll find that in the Bible. Jesus told the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. Flee and do what? Pursue righteousness. Pursue a right relationship with God. Is how I'm living morally? Does this line up with God? Is how I'm living ethically? Is how I'm living with my finances? Is this lining up with God? Pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue endurance. Pursue gentleness. Wow. That's a strange one to throw in. Pursue gentleness. Who needs to hear that today? Anybody good at getting angry? I have a PhD in that. Pursue gentleness. And then do what? Fight the good fight of faith and take hold of eternal life. You've made a commitment to Jesus. Hold on tightly to that. Flee away from the old junk. Grab a hold of what's good and hold on tight. Listen to this quote. I'm going to stand back so lightning does not hit. It al- I almost couldn't write the words down because I was afraid. Michael Bloomberg, I believe, was the former mayor of New York City. I don't know. I don't care. But you know who he is. Here's his quote. I quote, If there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I've earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. Excuse me just a minute. Total ignorance. Total ignorance. And there may be some of you here today that think, well, my good outweighs the bad. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. The only way you get to heaven is through Jesus Christ, very simply. Jesus is the Son of God. He died on the cross. His blood covers all sin for all mankind for all of eternity. The only way Bloomberg gets into heaven is if he finds Jesus Christ. If you want to go in on your own merit, good luck. Good luck. That's a frightening, frightening statement. Where you might not be bold enough to say it, there's still a lot of people. There's a bunch of you watching right now thinking, well, I'm a pretty good person. Compared to Charlie Manson, I'm a really good guy. But you're not going to be compared to Charlie Manson. You're going to be compared to an all-holy, perfect God. Now how do you match up? That's why Jesus came to die for you. And here's the tragic part. I want to show you. This is, this is a picture of the first lady that ever summited Everest. It's a great, great story. But it's also a tragic story. When she came down off the mountain... She got lost coming down. And snow and ice and everything else. She died 300 feet from her camp. They found her body a few months later. She was within 300 feet of home. She was that close. Some of you have heard about Jesus for decades. You still haven't accepted him. You're listening. You're in church. You're at least conscious. You're watching online. You're Palm Bay in the land. But that doesn't mean you've accepted Christ. It means you're with a bunch of other people who've accepted Jesus. Great. Now it's your turn. Let's pray. 
Father, it's so easy for the world to entrap us and maybe more frightening that I entrap myself. And I pray that I pray that as we think about this verse that we would flee from the evil in our lives and that we might learn something about contentment, something that seems very, very difficult for Americans to grasp. We are blessed and we're grateful for that. But I pray that in the midst of our blessings that we would learn to be a blessing rather than to continually be chasing that one new thing that's going to change everything. Remind us that you are the one thing that changes everything. In Jesus' name, amen.